Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is our last session on our 1 Peter 5, unless the Lord interrupts and tells me differently. 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going through. We've been in James, we've been in Joshua, and today we finish our passage on 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm not going to go through an intensive review on uh, the first several verses. We talked about uh, elders, we talked about being submissive. And we begin in the, first, in the middle part of verse 5, and we won't elaborate much because we've spent two weeks teaching on this. And by the way, on our website, this has become one of our most popular teachings accessed by people all around the world. Thank you for enabling me to do that. There are people everywhere across the United States and in many, many different countries who are listening to these messages online at uh, Steve Franklin Ministries. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Beginning verse 5 in the middle. God takes it personally and starts resisting the proud. I add a little bit in there. God resists the proud. Why is God so opposed to pride? Because pride is opposite of his nature and character. Remember, pride's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Pride. Self-sufficiency, independence, and disobedience. God resists the proud, but he gives grace, favor, and ability to the humble. We talked about how do you humble yourself, verse 6. How Humble yourself. Don't ask God to humble you. That's not a good idea. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. We don't determine due time. He does. And how do we do it? Last week we talked about casting all our care upon him for he cares for you. If I am worried, fearful, and anxious, it's because I don't have great revelation that he absolutely wants the very best for me and is working to bring it to pass. Otherwise, I'm going to have cares, worries, anxieties. We talked about, and you can go online and get last, me- last week's message, <clears throat> how to violently throw our cares over on him. Verse 8, we, we studied this last week, be sober, that is be spiritually alert. Don't be under the influence of the devil, the world, the flesh. Be vigilant. Invest in it. Invest in your walk with the Lord. Is everybody listening to me? I want you to look this way. You see me? I'm your pastor, right? Can I tell you something? I am one bad choice away from hurting a lot of people. 
and so are you. You are one bad choice away from hurting a lot of people. What do you mean by that, Pastor? It's called the fear of God. We have lost the fear of God. One thing that helps me in my journey in the fear of God is being reminded of what the Spirit told me. You are one bad choice away from hurting a lot of people. Be vigilant. Be sober. Be vigilant. Invest. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Last week we talked about the devil is mobile. Well, if he's mobile, he's not omnipresent. Amen? If he has to move around, it means he's not there. Your God is omnipresent. Amen? Seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. We talked about how we did that. We talked about how the enemy will come against us. In the context, he's very attracted to us when we're carrying our own worries, cares, and anxieties. Why would he roam about looking for somebody who is already in his grip? He doesn't. He's looking primarily for believers who, for whatever reason, have failed to believe that God Almighty's the highest and best interest You have his highest and best interest. And he is at work today, regardless of the way it looks or feels or seems, to bring about his glory and your good. To the extent that I refuse to believe that, to that extent I start worrying, becoming fearful and anxious, and trying to make my own result come to pass. That's what wearies me, and I become attractive to the roaring lion who seeks someone to devour. Remember, a lion can't roar if there's something in his mouth. The roaring lion is to paralyze you with fear. Remember what we said last week? The roaring lion is a forecaster of disaster. You can lay there at night or be driving down the road or whatever, and there will become a forecast of your own disaster or of somebody you love that you'll have to deal with in the realm of your mind. Understand this, that the enemy is always saying, you're not, 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 you're not. You're not good enough. You should have done this. It's your fault. You're not, you're not. He's an accuser of the brethren. Jesus is your advocate. You know what your advocate does? He says, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are. You were saved, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're... Right? So understand who you're listening to now. On the screen of your mind, it's either your accuser or your advocate. Everybody say it with me. I'm choosing the advocate. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing, verse 9, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. These next two verses, this sermon is not popular in today's culture. Resist the enemy, steadfast in your faith, 
knowing that these sufferings that you're going through, if you read the whole book of 1 Peter, you will see the context are believers who are suffering. Some people believe and teach today that if you just have enough faith, you won't ever suffer. That is nonsense. The same suffering. You are, what the word's saying here is, you're not in an elite category by yourself. It's not just you. Your faith family around the world are going through like sufferings. You may be the only person you know going through this suffering, but there is a, con- in the context of God's family, there are many more who are doing the same. How, Pastor, can we suffer in a godly way? Well, the dynamics of suffering are these. Suffering always brings an attack on something <clears throat> that is a place of order. What do you mean by that? Suffering can take place in the realm of your finances. If you have never suffered in the realm of financial lack, you don't know how grueling and relentless that can be. You have to deal with it every single day. It is torture. Suffering can be in the realm of your physical body. We all know how that manifests through pain or disease. It could take place in the realm of mental and emotional peace. There may be such an attack on the order in your mind and in your emotions that it is just relentless. And let me just say a word right here. I'm a little sick of all of those who are talking about, well, if you were just walking with God, you would never have any depression. And it is inferior and it is sin to go see somebody to help you or to use any kind of medication. Don't you listen to that nonsense. Medicine is light, it's not darkness. It can be practiced in darkness, but I'll tell you something else. God called David a man after his own heart. And David said, my God, why? Have you left me? I can't even feel your presence anymore. Why have you allowed all this to happen to me? Depression is real. And it doesn't mean that somebody is weak or spiritually inferior, inferior who is going through that. And don't you be so quick to say, well, if they just do this, they wouldn't be depressed anymore can I tell you you start sowing that kind of thing you might be you might be careful you might reap it and there's a whole lot more than somebody being spiritually out, out out of order that has to do with depression did you know that sometimes those serotonin levels and everything in the physical brain can need some help so what I'm just I don't know why I'm on this soapbox maybe this is for somebody today but I want to tell you this If you're struggling with depression, it is not sin. In fact, he who was a man after God's own heart understands that journey. And I highly recommend to you that you go to the book of Psalms, especially Psalms 42, 43, and just kind of live there for a while. 
So there's mental and emotional suffering. There is obviously physical suffering and financial suffering. And of course, there's persecution and rejection and certain afflictions. But I want to tell you something that so many, many, many of all, almost none of us escape at some point in our life the kind of suffering that is going to do something mighty for you if you will stay with the Lord. And that is suffering on behalf of someone else. There is no pain greater than watching somebody you love suffer and you not being able to fix it. Nothing is more painful than that. And sometimes you say, well, Pastor, how's that godly suffering? Oh, my goodness. Do you not know what it's like to be called by the Spirit of God in the middle of the night to get up and intercede for somebody? Do you, know, do you not know what it's like to see somebody you love have to suffer the consequences of their choices? Do you not know what it's like to love somebody with all your heart and to see their heart breaking and broken and to see that it feels like there's no relief? The greatest suffering we do is that suffering we do on behalf of other people. Why is that godly suffering? What do you think the heart of the gospel is, folks? Somebody suffered for you. Somebody suffered for me. It still hurts the heart of God, some of the choices I make. You say, Pastor, you're saying God is emotional? I don't think He is. I know He is. I know He is. How, how, how could you say that? Well, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen who? Yes or no? You've seen me, you've seen who? Jesus went to a family that he loved and one of them had passed. What did he do? Jesus did what? Wept. He didn't just let a tear come by. He broke down and wept. You know what Hebrews 5, 7, uh, Hebrews 5 says? That in the days of his flesh, with loud lamentation and tears and crying, he cried out to his father. Do you think he just learned that in a certain situation? Jesus said, I don't do or say anything unless it's something that I see my father doing. So did Jesus cry or not? Okay, so there you have it. God cries. So I want to tell you that in your time of suffering, especially on behalf of someone else, there are tears that are precious to the Lord and are not forgotten. So sometimes godly suffering is what you do on behalf of someone else when you, when you have to pray for or cover that person, when you have to intercede, when you have tried your best to let them know there's a better way and they're not really listening. When you are personally rejected or even persecuted for standing in the ways of the Lord opposed to a rebellious behavior of others.
So understand this, that you're not the only one going through it in verse 10. May the God of all grace. God's grace is greater than our sin. It's greater than our pain. It is His favor. There's nothing the favor of God can't get involved in and restore. Do you know that God's grace and favor is greater than your sin? Somebody ought to just say, thank you, Lord. Do you know that God's grace and favor is greater than your own, your own pain? Do you know that God's grace and favor is even greater than mine and your own self-inflicted wounds? Do you know that God's grace even covers our self-inflicted wounds? Thank you, Jesus. about the grace of God. May the great God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory. Do you know what God's called you to? He's called you to be transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus and to be absolutely filled with His glory, His nature, His character. God has called us to do that by Christ Jesus. But how many of you know we're not going to be able to escape some suffering on this side of heaven. Some of my suffering has been self-inflicted. Hadn't yours? I've made some bad choices before, and I just reaped what I sowed. So don't get me wrong. Suffering doesn't have to do with trying to play tag on the freeway. I mean... You know I've had uh, genetic heart disease. You know I've had open heart surgery and stents. How smart do you think it would be if I made McDonald's Big Mac and fries? I wouldn't be having a happy meal for long. (laughs) Amen? So what's God telling us here today? Don't be an idiot. That's right there in... 1 Franklinians 3.1. Don't be an idiot. Y'all have read that one, hadn't you? Dina quotes that to me all the time. (laughs) That's her favorite verse. I'll do better, sweet. That's it. All right. Suffering, godly suffering, has to do not only with, with persecution or rejection. Do you know that some people are not going to have much to do with you because of your walk with Jesus? But you've also got to realize that sometimes, in my opinion, the greatest suffering you have is when you know and believe God can fix it. He just doesn't seem to be operating on your timetable. Now, that's painful. And not only that, he seems to want to get involved and do it a different way than you had in mind. That's painful, isn't it? So could it be, could it be godly suffering? I believe it is. If you're asking God, 
If you're asking God to direct your steps, if you're submitting to His way of doing things, and He takes longer, His due time is not your due time, His ways are not your ways, there is some suffering involved to present yourself obedient to His way of doing it. How did Jesus humble Himself? By becoming obedient, even to the point of death. So that's godly suffering. Oh my goodness, how difficult is that? Have you ever noticed as I have that the more you try to make somebody well, the more mess you make? Three of us have noticed that. The more you try to make it happen the way you know it should be, the more they seem to not be. Everybody remember that the more you apply the law, the more rebellion you stir. It's right there in the book of Romans. It is the love and the grace and kindness of God that led us to repentance. You didn't come to Jesus because he threatened to beat you up. You came to him because he drew you in. Amen? Godly suffering. Notice the promise here in verse 10. May the God of all grace. So God's going to give me the favor and ability to go through anything I have to. Everybody say it with me. God is going to give me the favor and ability to go through anything that I have to go through this side of heaven. Notice what he says here. After you have suffered a while, everybody say it with me, suffering is a season. It will pass. For a while, a season, God changes times and seasons. After you have suffered a while, what is the purpose of that suffering? The purpose of that suffering, we've got it in your outline there, is very quickly, it is to reward you with a special dose of the anointing of the presence of the Lord. There is an anointing, there is a power that only rests on those who have gone through some suffering. Whether it's waiting on the promise of God without wavering, whether it is going through persecution or rejection or whatever it is, there is an anointing of the presence and power of God that comes to those who suffer. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't walk across the street to hear somebody that's never had any suffering. Suit yourself. I told you this is not a popular message. If we suffer for the right cause, under the, uh, under the direction of God, we will have more than enough grace. Everybody say it with me. God's grace is always greater than my pain. After you've suffered a while, it's a season. He will, God will himself perfect. That word means to mature, bring to completion. 
Bring to com- that which is fragmented and broken. A- after you have suffered a while, God is going to reach down into those broken pieces and put them back together again. Hallelujah. He will perfect. He will mature. He will bring together. He will establish that which is so weak, that which is so wobbly and looks so insecure as you continue to entrust yourself to, to God and His faithfulness. His grace will eventually reach down and establish that which you never seem to be able to get off the ground. He will establish you. He will strengthen you. His strength is made perfect when our strength is gone. He's, God is especially attracted to those who are weak. My strength is made perfect in your weakness, says the Scriptures. And He will settle you. Those of you who've been going through seasons of chaos in your family, your finances, your body, whatever the disorder, whatever the pain is, I want you to know the God of all grace, this season of suffering is not going to last forever. He is going to settle. He is going to reestablish. He is going to make all that chaos, all that confusion disappear and settle You will have a new peace in your inner man that you know that you know that you know that it is God who has intervened on your behalf. It is God who is working for you today and your future is in Him. It's not in the decisions of other men. Your future is sure and steadfast with the God who loves you and nothing is greater than that God and His grace in your life. Nothing. The promised result. So what do we do when we recognize and believe that? Verse 11 says it, To Him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. To Him be glory. Would you stand with me today? Father, give us all revelation that nothing we have gone through or are going through has been forgotten. May we know that this suffering is not wasted, that you yourself are divinely attracted to us in our time of suffering. We thank you for the promise of Philippians 3.10 that not only can we know you in the power of your resurrection, but we can know you in the fellowship, the deep intimacy of your sufferings. That when we suffer for your glory, there's an intimacy that's developed that can't be done any other way. So we give you praise. We thank you for the witness of the word where the apostles gave you glory for the privilege and honor of being able to suffer in your name. 
I ask that you would sustain and encourage those who are going through pain today. Give them your strength. Show them your favor. Let your grace embrace them and their family, their loved ones. I want us to sing today that which we sung earlier to God be the glory before we go today. As our closing song, let's sing it. Sing it as an act of your will out of your heart to the Lord. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.